0: It's Christmas in VR land. Ooh, for me. Okay, it's a holiday. It's a Christmas miracle. Wait, are you, your Windows uh, Windows Mixed Reality headset has oh. gotten its day of execution see okay and not to not to make this cold open all quasi-religious god god
1: giveth and taketh away <laughs> vr <laughs> because that's a whole other can of worms microsoft is deprecating windows mixed reality i'm sure you know that i don't yeah, know we if talked it, about it a couple weeks ago did, i think month, months maybe. ago now maybe like if they were quite literally rendering windows mixed reality headsets unusable in windows 11 later this year as they remove all of the drivers and support so like what am i going to do with that thing is it just e-waste? electronics recycling is it literally just e-waste that's terrible
0: I, um it wouldn't surprise me if somebody writes a driver like pulls out the wrap, the driver, and writes a wrapper for Steam VR for it, or something like that. That would make a lot of sense. Although, yeah. also those headsets are for the like. There's a couple of relatively new headsets that are going to get EOL with that if you update Windows past a certain point. Yeah, there are newer ones
1: even than the one I have. Uh, that Monado, if you remember that we talked yeah. about that on the FOS pod ages yeah. ago. Like that, that has like very rudimentary mixed reality support, but I don't know that it'll ever get better. Like it doesn't even support
0: controllers yet. Well, the the bummer thing about it is that the mixed reality part goes. Like disabling the mixed reality part is also gonna disable the Steam VR because right. this their Steam VR implementation runs through mixed reality. So That's all exactly those headsets it. are basically junk unless somebody does the work to to update the driver to only use Steam VR, which yep. Is sucks. Yep. They they can't do literally anything, but Sony has now started teasing
1: that the PSVR 2 is probably going to get some kind of PC support, although I am tempering my expectations about what that's going to look like.
0: Well, like given their success on PC with the simultaneous Steam releases of or or, or even delayed Steam releases of a lot of games, but like they released Helldivers 2, mm-hmm. which I guess is a Sony published game, but not a Sony first. Is it, yeah, they is don't it Sony oh. first like Sony Studios is I think what they call that, right? I, I can't
1: uh I'm not sure. On PC it's got I think it's got its even its own publisher name on PC, but yeah, okay. they don't they don't own Arrowhead, I don't believe. So it is like a first party publishing deal or something. Anyway.
0: Yeah. But the upshot is Sony's Sony loves the PC now. They're like they're yeah. they're embracing the PC. Yep. And um it makes a lot of sense. By all appearances, Helldivers is doing
1: way better on PC than it is. Not that it's doing poorly on PS5, but it just like it it's Blown up on PC in a way that has got to be catching the attention of all the executives over there. And anyway, the language is squishy enough. I'm expecting this to be like the worst possible version of this.
0: Yeah, I mean the the way they've described it, it could be every anything from Sony first party games that have PSVR two plugins and implementations will work on the PC, but nothing else will, to yeah. they're just make a full ass Steam VR driver for the PSVR two. Oh, give me that. It, it, it wouldn't surprise me. I was playing with somebody last night who uh, played Helldivers with somebody. And I was like, hey, you know, if you do the Dual Sense and turn off Steam input, you get the fancy triggers and stuff with the with the with the Dual Sense." I should try that. It's real good. Um, but when they plugged in their controller, it Steam popped up with the, hey, you need to update the firmware on your controller. Now, when it used to do that, it would say you have to go to Sony's website and download this installer and do a bunch of nonsense. Now, Steam just does it for you. Whoa. So Sony and and Microsoft and 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 Valve are like, you know, I think they're buds. I think I think we got two faceless multinational corporations that are now friends. I love it when my favorite corporations become besties. Welcome to Brad and Will made a tech pod. I'm Will. I'm Brad. Hello. Hi. Greetings. I always um, like we don't have a prepared intro for our podcast. Like like, this week on the tech pod, we're talking about questions. I've I've, I've said it before. Every time I say I'm Brad, I then panic and go, God, what do I say next? Yeah, it's it's um, I, I've been listening to I've been commuting back and forth to PC World. I'm doing uh, helping Adam with PC World while Gordon's out sick. Yeah, that's cool. And um, I'm commuting back and forth occasionally, which gives me time in the car to listen to more podcasts. I'm I'm broadening my podcast horizons mm-hmm. and uh, like everybody has a different approach to this. So I uh, it, like when I listen to a Rob Zachney joint, it's he's got he's got like a whole like like he sets up the whole thing in advance and it's it's like, you know, exactly what's coming. You know what to expect. Um, but I mean, of course, there's still the unexpected in there. But anyway, it's uh, uh yeah, we're, we're we're doing a show this week. It's a questions episode. Mm-hmm. It sure is. And an answers episode. Uh, we, we turn cues into A's here once a month, at the end of the end of the month. Uh, as always, if you would like to send a question into the podcast, you can send it to techpod at content.town. That's techpod at content.town. Or alternately, if you are. One of our thousands of thousands of listeners who support the show because this is a listener supported podcast and you would like to support the show and like to join and get get access to the discord. So you can post questions in the fabled Qs seeking a's channel where you post your questions and they immediately disappear into the void. Uh, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash and, uh, and, and join in the discord, getting the patron exclusive episodes, all that stuff. We'll talk about that at the end of the show. Yeah, but As we typically do, I think we should start with the emails. All
1: right. Let's dig into some emails here then. They're electronic. Uh, Here is a question from Nick. I'll be doing a down through the studs, a home renovation at some point, and I am wondering about your thoughts on built-in ceiling speakers. Uh, Well, built-in slash ceiling speakers, he says. Mm -hmm. I think there are two scenarios here. Part of the home will be a newer kitchen with a dining area on the side. I was looking at ceiling speakers for this area, uh, but the spousal acceptance factor is low on this. The biggest gripe is the inability to control the volume or turn off the source with buttons uh, if one of us is airplaying something. Uh, any ideas on that? I run Hubitat in my home if this helps. Uh, for distribution, should I be looking at Sonos Amps, some obscure network player I've seen online, or a second zone feed off of an AV receiver? I had an experienced AV guy come in who apparently rubbed shoulders with speaker company execs uh, who had a few suggestions, but I think we may have appeared too poor for
0: him to take the job. So, uh, every, a, every fancy AV guy has rubbed shoulders with the speaker company execs. I think so. Yeah. That's the stock and trade. Every time I go to somebody's house and they're like, Hey, check out my AV system. The guy knows the guy who does this. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good. Good job. It's, it's probably, you know, it's probably a small community. I bet, I bet speaker companies are maybe not as big as you, like in terms oh. of headcount as you think. Oh, uh, like absolutely. When you go to the speaker, when you go to, it's like when you. Like when you go to CES, you don't meet Mr. Panasonic or Mr. Sony, but when you go to NAB and you're in the places where like like the 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 speaker conferences and stuff like that, you'll you'll guess the people who make the custom speakers and stuff will be there. Yeah. Um. I I I can't believe I'm going to recommend this, but I actually really like Sonos for what you want to do. Hmm. Um. They're they're expensive. Um, they're way cheaper than a, than a like a custom installed system that's going to pipe in off of your AV receiver. And they're way cheaper than getting a multi zone AV receiver um, and and also doing all the wiring to get the wires from like running wires from analog wires from one part of your house to another part of your house is going to be fraught with peril because every time you cross power or data, it's gonna make it's gonna add noise and it's gonna be problematic. That's why you you used to have to get an experienced AV guy with this. With Sonos, you bypass all that by using either Wi-Fi or Ethernet. I would just do Ethernet drops to wherever you want to put the Sonos amps, either yeah. Ethernet and power. You might even be able to do power over Ethernet with a splitter on the on the Sonos amps. Now, um, I don't, I don't, I can't, I can't remember if the power over Ethernet's. I can't remember how much power the Sonos amps draw, um, but you can. The neat thing about Sonos is you can put an iPad or an old Android tablet or something in kiosk mode, run the Sonos app on that and just have it be the only thing that launches when you turn on that iPad or, or that tablet. Um, and that gives you the button control because Sonos, the, the thing Sonos does that I really love is they have native airplay support, but you still have control over the streams when you're airplaying um, uh, with, with any of the controllers that are hooked to the system. So I wonder if there are provisions
1: for wall mounting iPads. I mean, there must be, I mean, you could, oh, just, yeah.
0: you could just build your own frame, I guess. You'd, I
1: mean, you'd have to like deal with running some kind of power and, and trying to hide that if you wanted it to look tidy. But like you could, if you're doing the kiosk iPad, like you mentioned, you could make it part of the wall and just kind of permanently install it.
0: Yeah, I think I think um, you could do that. I think the thing I would do is probably put it on a um, it on, like find a stand that you can hang hang on the wall so you can pull it off and on when you need it. But sure. but um but yeah there there like there's a bunch of solutions for that kind of stuff. Um the the thing about Sonos, so Sonos had a had problems a couple years ago because they uh, removed support for some older yeah. uh like just to be clear, ten year old devices. Yeah, um, but still, it, they're speakers, so they shouldn't remove support for ten-year-old yes, speakers. That's the
1: thing. That's the thing. Like speakers of of anything in technology, speakers should last more than just about anything else. Like sp- like good speakers just last.
0: They ended up making good on it. Like they left the old. The, they they basically continued supporting the old version of the app. The reason I think they dropped it is because it didn't have the right Wi-Fi hardware or something in there to to do the the newer to to do what they needed it to do. Yeah. Um. But the amps are should be relatively bulletproof, especially if you wire them in with Ethernet instead of doing Wi-Fi. Yeah,
1: it's uh, it's fun. I have I have a couple of Sonos products, to be clear, uh, a couple of the higher end speakers. Um, a, it's been years since I did it. I didn't love the onboarding, like going through like they 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 have they have the, the very handholdy, like, you know, click next and answer this question and then click next. And do, like the the really black box style of setup, where if something goes wrong with your network setup or whatever. There's no insight into why it's not working. Yeah. You just get a generic like something went wrong. Like that stuff is incredibly frustrating. I finally got it on there. The other thing is, it's funny if you dig into like the hardcore Sonos community, like people have people like like packet sniffed the traffic going in and out of those things to see what they're doing and stuff. And like I think even the newer ones run, for example, they run SMB one. The shadow protocol, which is extremely insecure, like it's like SMB one is like. One of those like do not run this on your network type thing. So there are people there are people now who are who will use like Raspberry Pis to proxy like SMB three to SMB one traffic just to just to quarantine that stuff.
0: Well, and just to be clear, I think most of the people who are doing music streaming with Sonos now probably aren't streaming collections from their like NASA's or whatever. I think they're probably connecting Spotify or Apple Music yeah, and stuff yes. like that. Most, so, most people are. I mean, I yeah. I might be streaming from my NAS, but yeah, you might be streaming. I know you're streaming from your NAS, but even I don't stream music from my NAS anymore. I'm- yeah. My,
1: the other concern about the Sonos stuff and like you kind of just outlined this is like eventually what happens if Sonos just goes away? Like you need that app. You'd have to go through their onboarding literally to even get the thing on your network. Yeah, Sotos is a pretty big company at this it, point. It they is. employ like 2,000 people or something. It's it's substantial. But you say that about it like, I mean, everybody says that about everything right up until it stops being true. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's like Vice Sony.
0: was a 2,000-person yeah, company a month ago.
1: Sony, right. Or, or I mean, the, the most egregious example recently is like Sony and its subsidiaries, Crunchyroll, and um, God, what was the other? Was it Funimation Oh, when they pulled when they pulled content from the services, they, they have been pulling licenses for things people paid money for and quote yeah. unquote owned in digital form. And people literally just cannot watch their purchases anymore. And like that's that's another example of the type of thing where you're like, oh, those are huge companies like those will never go away. Right. And then all of a sudden they do. And that sucks. But um, I, I have like checked in occasionally on the efforts to break the encryption on the Sonos stuff and try to open it up so that. In the event that that stuff, although yeah. all the all the the software end of it disappeared, you could still use them as like basic speakers, at least. But I there, there has not been a lot of progress there mm. um,
0: on the installed ceiling speakers. I love those for areas where you don't want to have speakers on the shelves. Yeah. Like like if you have the space to do it in your ceiling, the ceiling speakers in the kitchen is one of the things I would love to do. We don't we just because of the way my house works, it's there's no the ducting all goes over the kitchen or it's too close to the edge to get up there. But I would absolutely do that. I also would probably do in wall speakers if you were doing like a home theater room in wall speakers, especially for like rear channels and side channels and back channels and all that stuff in like a modern seven one home theater setup seem seem like a pretty good compromise between having a room full of speakers and having something that is like sounds nice and gives you surround sound. I like I, I they're more expensive, you're paying a premium for that, but I think ultimately if you care about not having a bunch of giant speakers around your house or even a bunch of small speakers around your house, it's worth spending the money on. I've said it before, there's nothing I love more than hidden technology. So so the other wild card option on this is just to put HomePods everywhere. Like well, HomePod mm. minis um they don't work super well with spotify you have to like choose to airplay to them they work great with apple music unsurprisingly and you can hey siri everything you want to them and from them relatively easily and the sound quality is shockingly good if you put one big one in a big room and little ones in little rooms then then they work quite well and they give you control over your home automation stuff as well which is nice um, the downside is that they look like little orange and yellow and white balls all over your house. So, you know, you oh. see them. What are those things? Look, they must've rolled out a new model that I'm, 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 well, so there's, there's oh. the big one that looks like the garbage can Mac. Yes, that's the one and, I was thinking of. And then there's the little ones that are like round, like spheres with the tops cut off yeah. kind of, uh, if you get, if you get the white or black one, that would probably
1: fade into your decor pretty well. Just maybe don't get the orange or yellow one if you don't want the it, the one thing suspicious. i will say
0: about the the home assistant i i don't use hubitat but i do use home assistant and the home assistant implementation for um for homekit for the for the for the integration with home pods is so much better than the alexa or google implementations cuz it runs locally so the home can do the voice recognition stuff on board and it doesn't go back to the, like it, the the connection is from the home pod to the home assistant in the house. So it's like 200 milliseconds faster than uh Google home or an Alexa, uh, uh, turn on the lights command. Cool. Very good. All right. Let's move on to this email from
1: Ivan. Uh, the topic of nineties era, first person shooter binds came up a couple times in the past few episodes. And I wanted to comment like Brad, I all, of this blew my mind. I did not remember this. Like Brad, I also used right click to move forward for the longest time. It wasn't until 2004 or so when games were getting more and more of a pain to bind to that configuration uh, that I eventually adopted. WASD. Also, I think there was a debate about the pronunciation of WASD when
0: WASD is how you say it. That's the that's there's no debate. That's a, you just you, look, you you kazammed that. Right. I, I get the objection. It sounds goofy, but also it's just it's way easier to say. I mean, it's uh, not like you're saying as or something like that. Yeah.
1: Uh, I suspect Brad's use of it was probably influenced the same way mine was quake by default quake bound right click to forward. I had I super -hmm. don't remember that, but apparently I guess that's where I got that and people treated me like it was crazy.
0: I Uh, did not remember that at all
1: for what it's worth. Uh, So I mostly stuck to quake's defaults with some tweaks space for jump comma and period for strafing were default. So that's where my pinky middle and index fingers were right control defaulted to fire but left click did that. So I changed it to back movements and use my thumb for that. Interesting.
0: Oh, so this was the, this is the, yeah, the default quake binds were, were weird. Romero talked about that in his book a little yeah. bit. I was on. Yes,
1: they, they are. Well, they were, they were figuring it out. They, the, yeah. there was no standard at all. They were literally just making up binds out of thin air. I used, I used left control for back shift for jump. No shift, for, shift for runners. I, can, I, I can't used, remember actually. I used oh,
0: shift shift was run, I believe. So I used um, for the strafe. arrow keys for movement and left alt for strafe space for jump interesting control for shoot for a Wrong. long and shift for run for a long, long time. Um,
1: and then this, this is an interesting factoid. I had seen this pop up elsewhere as well. As for WASD, that was an innovation by nineties pro quake player, Dennis Fong, also known as Thresh, the guy who won CarMax Ferrari in that quake tournament. Uh, those were the binds he used in those days. Uh, they then gained popularity and became the default by Quake Three, and the rest is
0: history. I remain bummed that I didn't go watch that Quake tournament. I was at that oh, e three. Well, it was at it was just at e three on oh, the floor of the show or something, that's right? Right, it was. Do you remember what year that was? Ninety six, I think. Ninety six. Oh, that was yeah. the
1: that was the last e three I didn't go to.
0: Yeah, I I was I, I still lived in Tennessee then, right. and it was in Atlanta, so I was like, and I was writing. Like I, I scammed a press pass basically. So, um, yeah, those were the days. Yep. All right. One more
1: email from autumn. Do you think people could design a battle pass, but for people using their cars in real life, what would even be on it? How much do you think the premium track would cost? You think it's
0: like playing certain music you got to like, like, do you think there's a fuser component to this? God, there's like, uh, there's a bajillion things about a car you could gamify. Yeah. Think about uh, think about like your your mile You're keeping your mileage below a certain point for X number of miles. Your miles mm-hmm. per gallon or miles per kilowatt hour. Yeah, they could probably do some kind of like computer vision
1: image recognition on the 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 reverse camera and like rate your parallel parking
0: ability. My car has a top down camera, so I can it like just you know one one spot. Mm-hmm. It's like a perfect five point turn. No 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 do for Yes,
1: like just execute
0: a f- perfect five point turn like that. That is that is an achievement right there. What about like a like a low deceleration stops like you do X number of low deceleration stops. So it's like a perfectly gentle braking to a stop at, uh, or or never run through a stop sign or maybe mm-hmm. always run through a stop sign. I don't know. Maybe the maybe the car companies are chaotic evil. Um, What about uh, like what are the rewards, though? Do you get to like turn on the air conditioning if you do a certain <laughs> number of things?
1: God, that's that's grim. That is dark, but also we're in this era of cars charging subscription yeah. fees and like having
0: DRM and stuff now. So it's completely believable. You think you get a sick car skin? Like you like, you get an LCD on the outside of your car and you can change it to, Oh man, to look like a banana. How far off do you think
1: we are from, well, we talked about this, right? It doesn't I started to say like, well, there was a CES side, demo, right? Like side panels that have some kind of built in image, like image display capability. The polychromatic can, like, paint is right, the thing. Yeah. You can display graphics on your car that move and animates. Yeah,
0: it's coming. I, I guess I would. I look. I just want a car that looks exactly like what's on the other side of the car from whatever your perspective is, so it looks mm-hmm. invisible to other drivers. Yeah, nothing could possibly go wrong with that. Yeah, that's that's an example of what I. I guess I think of
1: this as sort of like future tech that satisfies satisfies the Back to the Future Two rule of oh, does this look futuristic? In the sense that or in in the way that you watched that movie and thought, wow, that looks futuristic. Like that's well, that's the type of thing I would expect to see in a movie like that.
0: It's it's interesting because like you, we talk about this and like. I didn't I didn't really buy the video pass through stuff because it's I've used it on the quest three a little bit and it's not great. I mean, it's fine, but it's not perfect there that the Apple Vision Pro video pass through is really good to the point that I could see. Like if you have a car with cameras on all sides, oh, you could wow. you could potentially get a composited version of your surroundings. What and do like third person driving? That hmm. That sound that sounds like it would be really cool. Right up until it failed. Well, I mean, yeah. Look, and also yeah. you don't want to be wearing a giant piece need- of glass and metal on your face when your airbag goes off, no, right? You so
1: you definitely don't want that. But also, like um, like any any even split second disruption of your perception of your surroundings while you are operating a heavy machine
0: at high speed. Yeah, not great. Yeah, the 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 circle, the circle, the circle of doom on the Apple Vision Pro would be real bad if you're going 70 miles an hour on the freeway. Yeah. Anyway, please no battle passes for cars. That's my request. Yes, hopefully not.
1: All right, let's move to some discord questions. Here's one from Peters Victor, uh, who is, is a returning emailer. They're the one with the sheep shed. Oh, man, I love a good sheep shed story. Yeah, yeah. Sheep shed update. Hi again, and thanks for the previous answer. To answer Brad's question, yes, there are actual sheep involved, and we'll guess the use case for the camera spot on. Our ewes are set to lamb in April, and it would be great to check, uh, to be able to check on them from bed instead of going out to the shed once an hour to see if a ewe is about to lamb. Uh, I ordered a couple of Ubiquiti nanostations but haven't ordered a camera yet. Any suggestions? Are there any good HomeKit-compatible ca- uh, models?
0: So there's a ton of like this is the camera space is not is super competitive. There's a bazillion cameras on the market. Everything from stuff that's cloud connected and has a little bit of latency all the way down to something you can just plug in and like will connect with home assistant or your home kit install or whatever. Um, th- th- honestly, buy some stuff from places that you can return it and see what works, because the, the thing that I've found with those cameras, the hardest thing about those cameras is getting the right mount for the area that you have. Because if if it doesn't, if like the camera usually they're weather sealed enclosures for outdoor cameras, even barn cameras, you probably want a weather sealed enclosures because it's wet and cold and all that stuff. The articulation inside the weather seal is the thing that's probably going to determine what works for you. Uh 4K, you can get 4K, but the camera sensors are often noisy. But like you're probably looking at like in the US, it would be like a hundred bucks at most for a decent 4K camera. When I when I set up the bird nest cam, last year i went and bought an amcrest um an amcrest can- uh, camera that would connect to my home assistant so i didn't have to send it to the web um and uh it, it worked it works great like shockingly well the but again the challenge with it is getting in the mountain the place that it needed to be in yada yada yeah yeah that stuff seems to be getting insanely ch- like our
1: we're I, I assume we're just fully in the territory of like Absurdly cheap cameras on AliExpress that you can get like some kind of raw. What what is the protocol? I think a lot of them use RTSP to spit Most out. Of them,
0: yeah, they use RTSP or what? Or the the new thing. Um, some of them do both. The, what's, the, the, what's the new thing? Isn't is the what do you use on what's what's the thing on Twitch? The the that transport. There's a I can't remember the name of the protocols. There's a bunch of them now. Yeah, like there's the, there's there's HLS, there's Dash, there's SRT, there's
1: Wrist. I've been living in video streaming world of hardcore for a few
0: weeks anyway. So the other thing about this is since you're presumably not going to have the lights on in the barn so that the animals can sleep, uh, you'll you'll want to make sure that you like the reason to buy something that you can that you can send back if it doesn't work right is because the infrared cameras have wildly varying qualities. In my experience, I got three cameras before I found one that would let me see the birds at night. Interesting. And um, you'll you'll want to like. Nobody does reviews of these things that are worth a shit. So and and the proliferation of AI generated reviews is is so bad. Casey Johnston guest, former guest of the show, was talking about this this week. Like People magazine is doing every mainstream publisher. Somebody is selling services to mainstream publishers that says, hey, we will generate high keyword volume reviews so that you can draft on your good search, search, uh, search juice. And make a whole bunch of affiliate money by selling shitty overpriced air filters to people on affiliate links to Amazon. Uh and so like if you search for best air filter for pets, you get home home uh real simple and people and better homes and gardens and time and newsweek and all of these sites just have ghost pages that aren't linked off their CMSs really. Um, so you can't use those kind of reviews anymore. You got to go to like Wirecutter or someplace that or consumer reports or someplace that actually does product coverage for that kind of review. Yeah. And none of those sites cover these kinds of cameras because they're a, a, like weirdo niche for for people like us or people who install them professionally and just buy the same kind every time. I, I need
1: to just buy a camera or two. These things are twenty to thirty dollars now. Like the, oh. you can, like there's, a, here's a wise here's a wise camera that's 1080p Wi-Fi enabled for 19.99. Like so I need the, to just play with some of these. The wise stuff goes to the web. So oh, okay, so yeah, um, I would want to find the one that is like fully offline and not cloud connected.
0: Yeah. So the Amcrest is the low end. I like when I I got four cameras. The two that I liked were Amcrest ones. I kept one of the Amcrest ones. Um, the 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 there's a big jump from like the twenty or thirty dollar cameras to the eighty or a hundred dollar cameras. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm, um, I'm sure. I, I I have
1: no actual use for one of these things. I just want to get one and play hey, with it. Put it, it on like, the pigs. I've thought about. I, I just, I mean, I work in this room. Like I kind of, I kind of don't want a camera running in my house all the time. I mean, I get it, but it goes yeah. public. Uh, put it put
0: out on the street. Let's see, let people see the. Uh, yeah, well, okay. that's a
1: bad idea. Then you dox sure. yourself. But anyway. I could I could mount it out back. We have hawks that hang out Ooh. behind our house frequently. Maybe I could mount it out there and like hawk watch it,
0: 2024
1: pointed at the big pole that the hawks like to perch on. I like that. Uh, I told you about the time that we encountered a hawk fighting some crows midair.
0: It's terrifying. It is awful. crazy. I had terrible. I had, to I had, yeah, totally. I had no idea that crows and hawks were like natural adversaries. Yeah, the um, w- uh, I was driving with a kiddo and scarred her for life one day because I was like, oh, look, there's a hawk and some crows fighting. And, and then the crows downed to the hawk and it was not good. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Yeah, it was like, like four of them just really wailing on it. I, I may have mentioned this before. We were at the park one time
1: and mm-hmm. a dead. This is grim. A dead, partially chewed rodent landed on the path in front of us. Oh no! And only then did we look up and realize that hawk that a hawk and some crows were going at it, and the hawk must have dropped its prey. Oh uh, <laughs> like it was did, it was extremely
0: bizarre. Did I? Uh, when we were in DC last year, we were walking through the garden behind the Smithsonian. I might have told the story in the podcast. If I did, I apologize. But we were walking through the garden behind the Smithsonian Castle from our hotel to the mall and i was like oh look there's a hawk and a falcon in the middle of the in the middle of the this grassy spot this big grassy spot it's really cool and then about then a squirrel jumped up from where the hawk was was and it and it's grabbed it and started ripping pieces of it off and i was like no don't look don't look don't look don't look this is bad don't don't look at this it was yeah
1: it was a circle of life man good old good old nature red and tooth and claw yeah exactly uh question from jerry What's your website bu- bookmarking workflow? Ah. The star button next to the browser URL bar, something like raindrop.io, pasting links into a notes page. What is well, raindrop.io?
0: I'm, go- I'm going to look at raindrop.io right now. I meant to Let's look at it. Let's find book- out. Um, so, I, at this point, if I need to keep bookmarks, if I'm doing a project that requires that I keep bookmarks, I uh, save them in a Notion. Like I make a page for the project and I save the links in a notion document as, as just as text links. Like, does it have facility for keeping like organizing bookmarks or you you can make a link, but I just make a, yeah, I, I put what it is and then a hyphen and then the link. And that way I have that way I have a searchable database of like, Hey, here's the setup guide for blah, 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 whatever service I'm setting up on my, on my NAS or on my server or something. Yeah. Um, It's funny, like bookmarks were huge at the beginning of the web, you know, like straight up
1: Netscape Navigator era. Yeah, Uh, favorites in Internet Explorer three, et cetera, et cetera. And delicious, vaguely, but I kind of gave up bookmarks for years and years, like starting I don't know early two thousands, maybe. Like I went like I think actually it was around the time of the Firefox. What did they call it? Did they was Firefox the one with the awesome bar? Is that what they called it? I don't know if they called it the awesome bar, but like I I feel feel like I remember that name and thinking it was awful. Well, okay, so pin. Yes, it is. I'm I'm looking it up on the Mozilla Wiki. Awesome Bar v2. Anyway, that was the thing that would um, it would remember not just the literal text of the URL, but it would remember page titles and other metadata around the page. And you can kind of just type into the address bar something about the thing you had visited, and it would just find it. And that was about the point that I stopped using bookmarks. Yeah, same. Yeah, I I have embraced bookmarks in the last like four or five years in a in a big way. I just bookmark things in Chrome, though, and just let Chrome sync them across devices. And I'm not sure that I love the I mean, I'm sure there I'm sure there's data collection going on there and I wouldn't mind transitioning to something else. But I don't know.
0: I have a bunch of links to the Will Smith stories about me from the Oscars a couple of years ago. Mm hmm. That's, sure? Those are the last bookmarks I made. It looks like Oh wow, I bookmark stuff constantly these days. Like anytime yeah. I, anytime I find like a,
1: like a stack exchange thing that I might refer to later or something like that, I just did my bookmark. I mean, I, you know, I have to gather new stories for the next lander podcast every week. Like I use it for that. I, like I, bookmarks are useful. Um, I wouldn't mind maybe finding a way to decouple them from an account where a lot of data is probably being harvested from that, but I don't know.
0: I, uh, are they searchable in
1: Chrome?
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, it's like okay.
1: it's, it's like they're they're very flexible, easy to use, robust, etc.
0: Um, yeah, it's it's funny the Firefox ones are searchable too. I don't really use them. I use the bookmarks bar for the things that I use often enough that I want to have them ready and accessible, but not pinned. Yeah, like I have a bookmarklet that saves a recipe to paprika and stuff like that there. Um, but for the most part, I don't really use bookmarks anymore. But I also have 10 tabs pinned open right now. So that's a lot of tabs. It's too many tabs, Brad. Don't run so many tabs. Like when I when I whenever
1: I look at memory usage, I have sixty four gig in this new machine. Like it's not a problem. But anytime I look at memory usage, it's Chrome. Like like of all the things using memory, it is like when the WSL two uses kind of a lot, but it's mostly Chrome. That's why that's why I stopped using Chrome. Yeah. Honestly, well, I, I, mean, I I think that's every browser though, right? Like browsers, no, just tabs like use a lot of memory
0: when you use a lot of tabs. So Firefox, Chrome has three tabs open. Firefox has like 25. They're using the same amount of memory. Hmm. All right. Well, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I, I, I just yeah. stick to Chrome
1: for compatibility reasons. Like we, we just, we use too many like web-based video calls and chat things and stuff. And Chrome, everything is tested against Chrome. Yeah, you have to use Chrome for, like,
0: Google, uh, Google uh, like, yeah, all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
1: what else let's we got? see here. Cat Will Mew. I regularly see stories about hacks where they say they're sponsored by a nation state. I'm curious, how do they know this, and why isn't that sort of thing a bigger deal if another nation is intentionally attacking our IT infrastructure? I can't, I don't have a ready answer for how they know. But I will say why it isn't a bigger deal is that we are assuredly doing the same thing to them.
0: Well, but I mean, that's never stopped us from disproportionate responses in uh, the past as a country.
1: Fair. That is fair. But I mean, I think it's kind of like espionage, though, right? Where like everybody is spying on everybody all the time, even even ostensible allies.
0: And Yeah, yeah and, I think uh,
1: that's true. And like with something with something like that, you know they have your secrets just as much as you have their secrets and you don't necessarily want those
0: getting out. Uh, I I also think a lot of times it's um, yeah, I, I actually, I have no idea why it isn't a bigger deal. I also the, how we know that they're sponsored by a nation state is I think an espionage thing, right? So we yeah, know so like we are, we track money through uh you know, we, we track money through the international banking system and see that these people are being paid by this shell company, by this shell company, by this shell company, by this shell company. This shell company and then eventually you realize it's coming from Russia or Iran or or whatever. Yeah. Um, there, there,
1: there might be like digital networking footprints as well that can be followed and stuff. I mean, like I've, a lot of this is probably just counterintelligence. Like, you, I mean, you see it make the news occasionally, like hacker groups that are affiliated with certain countries, like have names and get new stories written about them because they've been identified and stuff. Right.
0: Yeah. I, 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 mo- I mostly wanted to answer this because I'm curious if I think there are people probably in our listener base who do this kind of work yeah. and I'd be curious to have follow-up answers if you can do it in a way that won't get you in trouble with the, with the man. Yes. Or marked. Yeah. Don't put us on a list. That's yeah. all I'm saying. Yes.
1: We shouldn't have taken this question. Can't even ask these kinds of questions. Uh, here's a good question from warbird. Oh, really? No, I don't think Lane Kiffin is the best coach of all time, Warbird. Okay, well, moving on then. I have to know, it's actually, I'm torn on this one. Okay. Is there a point to the modern Raspberry Pi in this day and age? Huh. It really seems like anything beyond a Pi 3, which had the first 64-bit CPU in a Pi, is just paying more for a less performance solution with the added bonus of getting to play the wait-for-the-SD-card-failure game. Uh, there's still a good entry point due to standardization and community support, but dropping the amount of money needed for the later models to just work, uh, including dongles, cases, the increasingly specific power supplies, etc., uh, makes that a losing proposition. For the purposes of this argument, let's leave the compute module line of products off to the side. Um, before we get into this, I'm going to say I'm going to interpret where he says the just paying more for a less performance solution. I, I assume he's. Comparing to other different solutions out there that are not PIs and not to previous PIs, because PIs like PIs from three to four to five, like they have gotten dramatically faster, right? Probably more performant out of proportion to any increases in price. And in fact, the price increases have only been about RAM, I believe. Like the doesn't the baseline two gig model still run at thirty five even for a Pi
0: five? I don't. I think the Pi five is more expensive.
1: Did they raise the price? They did. The they did f- raise. They raised prices temporarily during the um, pandemic due to components.
0: So shortages. the four gig model is 60 bucks. There is no two gig Pi 5, oh, I don't think. Okay. I I did not realize that. I, I, I'm i looking at Wikipedia as my source
1: on this. Okay. He, he is, he's right that they are getting more expensive at the baseline, even setting the uh, extra yeah. accessories aside. And then he's also right. Like they need active cooling now. I think the three, you, know, you could run a four without active cooling, but it was not advised I think well, the five the five straight up has to
0: have a fan if I'm not mistaken. So like the component requirements are greater, but they are not. Um, they all also are not discontinuing the older models. Like I think they're still manufacturing the three. Oh even. yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: I think um, they still make the one. I think they make all of them still, right? I feel like Isn't we. I feel like when we talked to Evan, he said that, but I can't remember. Yeah. Um. The the point is now there's a wide range like my my for example my pie hole runs on a three it's fine it'll continue running there until the hardware dies which hopefully will be never you know it's got a i put a i had a spare cooler so i stuck it on the cpu just to give it a little more life yeah i, um, I my pie hole is a
1: pi 2 and it's also perfectly performant for that um i like i think the main thing here is the rise of these cheap x86 little embedded pcs
0: yeah, but, like like when you get into a Pi, when you, for example, when I was buying a CM for my home assistant and I paid a hundred bucks for it because I got the one with the sixteen gigs eMMC thing on it and and a whole butt buttload of RAM, so I could run a bunch of Docker containers there, no problem. That cost as much as the B Link that runs Plex, right? It was really? like it was like eighty or ninety dollars, and oh the, the, the B Link was like a hundred. This was also pandemic time, so it was like prices were a little inflated. I did not realize your B Link was that cheap. I thought I thought the those types of little x86 boxes were like 200 to start i got i if i recall i bought it on sale but it was um i think i bought the n 5105 one okay and it was 120 bucks maybe at most when i yeah. bought it okay yeah if you can if you can get something like that especially
1: the these um these alder lake n100 uh, x86 boxes yeah that, that has come out like those things are those things are stupid performant for the price and the power profile. Um, if you're, you know, if you're getting into territory where it's a hundred dollars plus for your Pi setup, then maybe it does make more sense to get one of those. Even if they're a little bit more, like if it, if it was a two hundred dollar differential or something, I would say like the Pi is still worth it. But
0: um, well, so, so the exception is that a lot of the Raspberry Pi uh, application like. A lot of people use Raspberry Pis for, like, application in a box, app server in a box, right? So, for example, PiHole, you can run on a bunch of other things, but it takes a little bit of specialized knowledge to get it up and running on something that's not a Pi. Whereas, when you download and install the Pi installer, it just says, hey, do you want to install PiHole on this? And you hit the button, and it's done. And then you follow a, like, five-question setup process. So, it's, um, you know, I think there's a real... think there's a real argument in favor of hey this is a single use low power computer that you don't have to think about too much yeah yeah Uh, also lower
1: power than like that's another point i mean even the little x86 things are getting pretty low but yeah uh, and actually i don't know how high the pi fives power draw is like back in the day a pi idled at like 1.5 watts or nothing you know like i think i think they would hit like maybe five to seven Watts at load or something. I think the, I think the newer ones definitely pull more, but I think a pie is definitely still for something you run 24 seven. is still going to use less power than even something that pulls like 30 Watts or something. If that matters to you.
0: The, the other big thing that's changed on the four and the five is I think that they have, you can get higher speed data off of the headers now. Yes, I it's can't remember. It's not just I2I anymore? I think,
1: I think there's like, I think they are exposing PCI Express and to some degree on the 5.
0: I forget how exactly. Yeah, so like there, there are uses for it. It's like, I think it's like any, like this is a place where weirdly you don't want to buy more Pi than you need. Like, because, you know, you buy too much you're not going to use it. It's just going to take power that you're not, that you don't, you don't need. Yep. Like I wouldn't put up f- the Pi hole on a 5. No. I think the, f- uh, the 4, like i where however a home assistant install especially if you have a whole bunch of different kinds of devices that are running a bazillion different docker containers or community store items probably could benefit from from the extra ram and yeah. and the and the bigger cpu on a 4 or 5 yeah. which yeah
1: yeah like yeah like i'd say i'd say don't get a pi 5 just to run a pi hole but if you're willing to get in the weeds and containerize things and you wanted to run like a pi hole and some other stuff on there then it makes more sense
0: yeah and and then the other thing is like for for end user uh devices like I mean, obviously we're not talking about like installed um k- kind of embedded devices and because like the weird thing is a lot of people use pies now for manufacturing stuff right when we did the fast pod with Evan, he said he, he looks at he said he looks at uh uh at at the like industrial devices and sees the the footprint the port footprint for a raspberry pi on the on the devices where they where like a lot of people just use them as like the embedded controller for things because it's cheap and easy to get and um I think if you're talking about like a home use, like buying a Pi five for uh, uh, like an emulation box or something like that makes a ton of sense because it probably opens up more more potential platforms to run and run your emulators on than than like a three or a two obviously would. Yeah, that's that's yeah. the last argument I would make for it is
1: just the community support is very good. I mean, they're well supported by the Pi Foundation. Um in terms of hardware support and stuff, but then yes, also there's retro and OctoPrint and a bajillion things out there that are made to just turn key install and run on a pie. So community support software availability
0: is quite strong there. Um, I, I, I generally like, but, but to, I think to Warbird's print, don't buy, don't buy more pie than you need.
1: No, no. Or maybe don't buy a pie at all. If you need more than a pie and there are better options that
0: give you more for not much more money. Yeah. Uh, Uh, So the Pi A, the Pi B and Pi A and A plus are all discontinued. Oh, really? The Pi 1 B plus is still available. That's the 512 meg configuration. Okay. Uh, And the Pi 4 V1, which is the one that had the bug that it didn't work with a lot of USB cables, is also discontinued. But they manufacture every other Pi they've ever made, other than those five. That's that's
1: impressive. Now you got me wondering... Uh, you've got me wondering which version of the model b i've got here because i'm still running a model b <laughs> it's my nut server i don't i'm uncomfortable talking about your nut server bro oh, too late i need to do some maintenance on that thing uh this it's thing probably fine oh it's the 512 gig version yeah if megabyte you mean for five five yes, <laughs> if I had a if, if I had, had a, Pi, a model B with five hundred and twelve gigabytes of memory, there would be something very strange going on. Is it
0: here. is it the one with the forty uh, pin GPIO or the twenty six pin GPIO? Because the twenty six pin five twelve megabyte version is not being made anymore, but the forty pin one is.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's the say. differentiator. It, it looks is, like, like, is. It's it's hidden behind my desk where I can't it. Oh, it has Ethernet.
0: It. So you're, you're oh yeah, this one does definitely it, has Ethernet. Oh, no, though. Yeah, never mind. That's not a differentiator. Sorry. Anyway, right. we should we should move on. We should yeah. move on, but I'm going to
1: bellyache about one thing real fast here. Hey, what you got? The Pi Foundation provides no upgrade path for the Raspberry Pi OS, which is just Debian with their extra stuff on it to support the hardware on there and stuff. But like if you're running, for example, the Debian 11 version of of Pi OS, they explicitly say, hey, do not do the distro upgrade 12 like It will will likely break things. If you want to upgrade major versions of Raspberry Pi OS, you have to wipe the card and reinstall.
0: I mean, look, wiping the card and putting a new card in every few years, probably not a terrible idea.
1: Um, I guess so. Um, Also, also, do
0: I really need to upgrade? Not especially. Also, if you're killing a lot of SD cards on Raspberry Pis, you should not be writing logs to mem oh, to, to the yeah. card. Yeah, so you got to set them up so that, that most of the modern Pi distros do this automatically now. So they'll like write write the log to RAM and then cache it out once or twice a day. Oh, you mean like the turnkey ones? Like yeah, the, the, tur- the retro, yeah, yeah, the turnkey
1: ret- stuff. Those should like RetroPi. I hope I hope that's the case. Raspberry oh. Pi OS does not though. Like I definitely go get log to RAM. numeral yeah. two log to RAM. Uh, I, I set that up on all of my pies and all those SD cards have been going for years with no problems. Yeah. Um, next question is going to be, uh, as I look for it,
0: um, I'm filling time now. What, are you going to sing a ditty? I don't know. I was thinking about it, but I ran out of words. And I'm about to sneeze. I think so. Oh, um,
1: yeah. Flip Triples, several people have asked this question. I feel like I need to just, like, state it for the record because people have been curious. Uh, Flip Triples asks, Could we get a post-mortem on Brad's AM5 stability issues that led to him switching platforms to Intel? I always enjoy hearing real-world hardware experiences that can't be captured in day-one reviews, and I'm curious if the root cause was identifiable.
0: Brad, was the root cause
1: identifiable? Well, Will, I'm glad you asked. Um... Trying to think where to start with this. There are two things here. One of them, I think, was more broad AM5 stuff, and then one of them was specific to the motherboard I had. Yeah. Um, the ongoing <coughs> problem I had with the Gigabyte motherboard, which was an X670E AORUS. AORUS. I think people have landed on AORUS as the pronunciation.
0: A-O-R-U-S, I believe yeah, is the spelling.
1: A O U R A O R U S. It was an X670E AORUS Master Gigabyte. It was, it was like a constellation of problems. It was like USB, networking, storage sometimes. Stuff just, just dropped ran- off, right? Randomly vanished. Like, like I would – and and it's hard to define because the, the behavior was so nebulous and so like varied as it would happen. Like it's kind of hard to put my finger on exactly how it manifested. But it was like you, like you would boot into Windows and like all of a sudden you would have no Bluetooth and you're – And your D drive was not showing up. That seems bad. You'd be in the middle of something and like all your USB devices would suddenly vanish. Both of those things seem bad. Or yeah, like or all the networking would stop like both my both the RJ45 going to the Internet and also the 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 Mellanox card, the SFP plus card that goes straight to my NAS, both of those things would vanish.
0: Was was, um, did Gigabyte replace these boards for people or were so, they
1: just like, everything's cool? So yeah, like, you know, I saw people out there going like, why didn't you just RMA or whatever? And like, so I spent a ton of time looking at different places that people post about Gigabyte, like their forums or, um, read their subreddits. Reddit. Yeah. There were a bunch of people with this board who were having this problem. So that's the other thing. They had a bunch of people were having this mm-hmm. problem and quite a few of them had stories about RMAing the board Uh huh. and they would get a board back that worked and then several months later the problems would start again and that's exactly what happened with me i built the machine in april this didn't start until like september Oof. but once it started it was persistent enough that i was like dude fuck this like
0: so did, did we did like is there a root cause identified for this problem is this a specific no. board
1: problem or is this an all
0: am5 problem so like there and there,
1: there's another there's a user on our discord who have the same board and cpu with the exact yeah. same problems who also switched to intel uh, alex patalia at Digital Foundry. Yeah, built a seventy nine or sorry, seven. I think it was a seventy eight hundred X three D system with this board. It was funny. I was <laughs> I was on the full nerd with him around the time that he built that, and I mentioned to like, oh man, I hope you, I hope you don't run into these problems. Did he have the problems? <laughs> sure enough, like a month or two later, he started tweeting about it. he was running into the same stuff. I I don't know. I I didn't see where his issues ended up. I hope he got those fixed. But anyway, I'll ask him next time he's on the full nerd. It was it was all the people saying, yes, I already made this. And then the problems just started again. Like I was just like, I am not dealing with this in a machine that needs to do work. Well, so then why didn't you just keep another AM5 board and and switch to a different board? That was the decision I came down to when I was like, okay, I can't deal with this anymore. I need to do something. The options were stick with stick with AM5, stick with AMD and just swap a different board in because that very much seemed to be a gigabyte specific problem. Okay. To be clear, those problems were not, as far as I could tell, I think there might have been another board or two from Gigabyte having similar issues, but I never saw a thing about ASUS or MSI or um, anyone else. Yeah, like any of the any of the major. Well, not that there are that many ASRock's, and they're not. That, that's pretty much all of them.
0: ASUS, MSI, and Gigabyte are pretty much the majors at this um, point. Yeah, I think yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: ASRock people seem to like. I mean, everybody has up and down periods, but ASRock is actually like very popular in the sort of like budget or hardcore build community right now. Yeah, no doubt, ba- no doubt, um, no doubt. But but there were there were other issues I was having with mostly USB compatibility that were more broad AMD related. You know, I use. I use a lot of USB AV stuff. Yeah, I've got I've got this Motu, which is a USB audio interface. Uh, I've got I've got a little Magewell 12 uh, HDMI capture USB 3 thing that I use to run my camera through. I've got an Astro mix amp here. Uh, the like all of those had issues on various USB ports on on that gigabyte board. But I gather from talking to people from looking at feedback out there that the, like USB compatibility stuff is just kind of not great on AMD. Uh, and I had really hoped that had gotten better with a m five and I think it got worse instead
0: <laughs> i'm I'm gonna say USB compatibility is not great anywhere, but it is I think Intel like I like I have on my machine on my Intel machine, I have the webcam and the and the uh, has to be plugged into certain ports or else it just randomly disconnects and reconnects, yeah. which is just like it's a webcam man. Like, yeah, like
1: every motherboard is going to have some of that probably or every platform is going to have some USB compatibility stuff. But but for example, the Motu, I tried basically every port on that board. I could mm-hmm. never get usable audio out of the Motu. Like the Motu is, is primarily an audio in interface for XLR mics, but it also, you know, it has a headphone jack and other ways of monitoring. Yeah. Every time I use that thing as the, the output device in Windows, no matter what port it was on, I tried literally all of
0: them garbled
1: staticky mess coming out of the that's so weird because like, like no matter what i did
0: that's the main that's my main audio output right. right the same exact interface even it was super yeah, so. bizarre
1: um there were Ooh. there were there were weird issues around other stuff like this this astro mix amp has it exposes two kind of virtual audio output devices to windows i mean they're hardware devices but you know what yeah. i mean like yeah it shows up in windows it shows up as astro mix amp pro game and pro voice those are two separate outputs and it's got a little It's got a little like fader knob on there or that kind of goes between those two.
0: Yeah. So you can, so you can balance your game and your audio without changing the mix in windows. Yeah. It's it's really nice.
1: Super useful. I use, I put voice on one and game on the other, and then I can just knock that back and forth when I can't hear people talk or whatever. Anyway, like that board had serious issues, like using both of those at the same time, like setting different applications to output to the, to the different devices that also was super unreliable anyway. That's a long-winded way of saying when it came down to should I try a different AM5 board from another vendor or should I just get off this platform? I chose the latter, and I will say this Z790 board with this 14900K basically zero USB compatibility issues of any kind. Like That's every nice. every device I have that I that I've plugged into any port on this thing has just worked. Well, there you go, and like that alone was worth the switchback. Uh, I like a lot of what AMD is doing, and I still find like. I still find their product lineup pretty interesting conceptually. Yeah. But problems like that, especially in any kind of work environment are just a non-starter.
0: I, I keep thinking about thread rippering, but also I just want a computer that works. Yeah. Yeah. So um,
1: do you ever watch, I don't know if, how do you say this guy's handle? Epos Vox? Epos Vox? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I'm hims- familiar with the channel, but I don't, he, I don't he, remember. Calls him, he calls himself the stream professor. Uh, uh, he, does, he does a lot of capture card reviews and like codec uh, quality tests and like hardcore Twitch streaming nerd shit yeah. that I'm way into. He just ran a video recently where he basically said he's running streaming from Windows in general for audio production, video and audio production. And he went it, and got a Mac Studio, but he, what he was running prior to making that choice was a Threadripper. He, he was trying to do all his audio is recording and stuff on a thread ripper. And he said yeah. he was having so many issues with latency and like buffer under runs causing pops and crackles and stuff that he was just like, and that was a thread ripper. So like, I don't, I don't know that a thread ripper is great for AV.
0: Well, I was just say it's funny because I've, I've had a couple of people that do professional audio stuff who've talked, talk to me about switching to Linux lately because they're able to control the drivers that are used and stuff like that at a I, really high level. And like, because a lot of the drivers are open, they're just able, like people in the community are able to fix latency issues Rather than That's dealing interesting. Dealing with shenanigans.
1: When I was I was talking to somebody about this whole thing recently, and I jokingly said something about that. Like I jokingly said, like it's do all your production on Linux. But actually, that made me wonder because like there are so many different Linux audio subsystems. Like depending on Distro, you can quite literally just decide what what the underlying audio system is going to be. Like it used to be also way back when. Like PipeWire is what a lot of people use now.
0: Well, but also like. Uh, Ironically, in the era of like live service operating systems, it's also a lot easier to have a stable version of Linux where nothing changes, which is like, like you think about like the audio, think about the audio machine in your old studios at GameSpot, you know, 15 years ago. And it was probably a Windows XP machine that was unplugged from the Internet because they didn't want anything to jack with the settings on it because it was always a problem. So I, I get it anyway. Yeah. Audio sucks. This is the TLDR. It's pain. Yeah, it's, it's pain. always, always hard. Unless you use a Mac, I guess. Or Linux, I suppose.
1: Um, let's see. I have so many good questions here. It's a, here's, it's a, a, here's a good a question. Problem. Yeah, it is a good, good and a good problem to have. I actually pulled this question from like December. I've been meaning to answer it every month. Uh, I've never quite gotten around to it. It's from Horch, I'm going to say. This is the pronunciation? Well, I'll agree with that. Horch. Horch sounds good. Uh, do you have any viewpoints on mechanical watches? Could you see yourself moving from the Apple watch to a mechanical watch? Does the technology of keeping time with only springs, gears, and no batteries interest you? Or does it feel redundant now in
0: 2024? Um, I was given an Omega Speedmaster as a gift a few years ago. So That that's, that's, sounds like a nice one. It's the Moon Watch. Oh, it's the, wow. It's, it's, one one it's one of those. It's one of the watches that when NASA was like, hey, we need a way to tell time and space. Right they uh they sent a guy with a checkbook or a po to the like local jeweler and bought one of every watch that was waterproof huh. on the at, the at the at the the houston jeweler and then they ran them through vacuum tests and blasted dust at them and all sorts of stuff it's uh there's a there's a book about this whole like how they spec stuff it, it talks about like hiring the Contracting with Playtex to make the spacesuits because the women who had been sewing bras by hand knew how to sew stretchy synthetic fabrics and 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 stuff like that. Uh, so I love the Omega. It's I I wear it for special occasions these days. Really, um, that's that's a hell of a gift. It was uh, it was one of my grandfather collected watches and oh, repaired watches. So okay. he had a large collection of watches. That like when a thing happened in the late 70s early 80s when digital watches came to prominence where a bunch of the old mechanical watches that are now worth a shitload of money people would just sell them for nothing cuz they thought they oh, weren't wow. worth anything anymore oh wow um and and that that experience kind of warped his perception of things in a way that was a little damaging cuz then he thought the same thing was going to happen with typewriters and a bunch of other things when they got supplanted by digital technology and it turns out having a giant collection of typewriters in 20 you know in, in 1992 Maybe wasn't great, mm-hmm. um, but it is but, now though. Yeah, but right. I don't know. They got rid of them all a long time ago, so we were blessedly free of them. Uh, they take up a lot more space than watches. It turns out too, but uh, but yeah. So I, when mom was clearing out his stuff, she asked which which watch I wanted, and I was like, I want a I want a moon watch, please. Oh, that's nice, that's nice because yeah. it's sentimental as well. Yeah, it reminds me of my grandfather, which is nice.
1: Yeah uh, my my feeling, I, I I certainly have great admiration for the mechanical aspects. Yeah. Uh, uh, Like the the, the fine engineering, I guess, the clockwork precision. Uh, And I think they look really cool, but the smartwatch is just so useful. Like it just performs so many other things that a time only watch would not. It's just it's just too deeply embedded
0: in my lifestyle now. I, I will tell you when the power went out here and we were charging phones in the car and stuff like that for a week during the fires a few years ago. I did dig out the mechanical watch because it was nice to be able to tell time. Oh, sure. Because nothing else in our house let us tell time uh, without electricity or yeah, turning it, on a phone. That's that's a good point. I'll let you mention it. Also, it became clear after a few days that we didn't really need to know what time it was. You just kind of ate when you were hungry and uh-huh. went to sleep when it got dark. So, uh-huh. you know, it worked out. You know, that, that worked just fine
1: for millennia, it turns out.
0: Yeah. I, I, I'm with you, though, Brad. I think the convenient, like the, the, the convenience of, hey, I can do most of my phone stuff for my watch with my voice is pretty nice. Mm-hmm. I've, I've said it before. I use it for fitness
1: tracking. I use it to buy things when I'm out and didn't bring my wallet because I was exercising and mm-hmm. just want to Apple pay something at the register. I've started using it for like when I'm standing there waiting for the water to boil to, to have coffee in the morning. I'll pull up the news app and just go through the headlines because it's a nice, quick way to see what's Madness. going on. You know what nope. I
0: mean? Like if, That's too much. That's one step too far. It's just, it's just, it does a lot of things. Do, do you, um, do you have cell service on yours? No, I
1: don't. Yeah. And me either. Uh, I just generally, my lifestyle is so at home that I didn't really see a need for it. I, I didn't, I'm surprised. I didn't know that Apple pay would work without connection. That's interesting. Yeah. It, you have to add everything to the wallet a second time. It does not take, for example, credit cards from your yeah, Apple yeah. wallet on the phone. I assume, I assume the watch has some version of whatever their security chip is this generation. Yeah. That there has
0: that NFC thing.
1: Yeah. But yeah, you have to you have to add all your payment options separately to the watch. And I guess I don't know. I don't I mean, I guess they're just it's validated once and then they just assume it's
0: I assume it has a token just like a card. Right. Right. I guess so. the card doesn't have an internet connection either. Why would why would you need? Yeah, right. Right. Yeah, I guess I guess it's like that. So it makes sense. Yes.
1: Okay. last question here from Erickson. How do you remember shower or driving thoughts? Because most of the times that I'm done with the driving or the shower, the idea is gone with the wind
0: hey siri remind me in 20 minutes of blah 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 huh and then from i get a message 20 minutes later that's blah 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 from the shower yeah is, do you not take your my phone's sitting on the vanity in the bathroom probably what wait do you not leave your phone what? in the bathroom when you're showering dude i barely look at
1: my phone all day <laughs> like half the time i don't even know what room my phone is in do you have your watch in there in the bathroom in the shower what do you you don't take it in the shower with you? You take
0: it off when you get in the shower, right? And the watch is also somewhere far from the shower. Oh my god! Okay, like, so I there's also a Google Home in our bathroom because we needed a thing to boy. to have the look when you if you don't want to have to stand there and be like, hey, you have to brush your teeth for two minutes. You let the machine do that work for you. Okay, welcome, welcome to the ultra connected home of the future. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, the thousand square feet of glory, speakers everywhere. Yeah. Do you know, I, I just, I just, if I'm in the car, this is mostly a car thing for me, I think. Car, car makes more sense. Of course, yeah. your phone's going to be there. Usually if I'm in the shower, I have a cigar and a beer, if I'm being honest.
1: Yeah. Now we're talking. I, um, I also don't use Hey Siri though. So that wouldn't work for me. Even if phone wasn't there.
0: Well, see, this is your, your look, maybe you should ask, answer that question about maybe the Amish had it. Right. You know, there might be something to that. Uh, yeah. The, I find the voice stuff to be really useful for this. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I totally get how useful it is. and just, having a microphone on all the time. I try to not do that with anything.
0: You could also use the voice recorder. True. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can set that up to be a shortcut. You can set that. You can literally do that on the watch face and, and hit a, uh, have a button that you tap on the watch face that lets you do a voice record anytime you want. Yeah. Uh, all right. I'm going to call it on questions. That that is then that'll do it for us this month. Thanks to everybody who sent questions. And we had a bunch of good ones this month. Yeah. Thank
1: you to all the askers. Like, I, I'm actually bummed we have to stop here because there are a bunch more that I would have read.
0: Uh, but uh, we've got to go dive into hell in a minute. Uh, we've got to record a patron episode in the next few days, which yes. will I think I want to I, I know what I want to talk about. But um uh as always thanks to everybody who sent in the questions thanks to all of the patrons everybody who supports the show brad and will made a tech pod is a 100 percent listener supported show True. so if you would like to find out how to support us and keep the show going you can go to patreon.com slash tech pod again that's patreon.com slash tech pod and as always we'd like to thank all of our listeners thank you listeners thank you But we want to give a special thank you, since it's the last episode of the month, to our executive producer and associate producer to your patrons. So executives first, uh, thanks to Andrew Slosky, Paddle Creek Games, makers of Fractured Veil, David Allen, James Kamick, Joel Krauska, Jordan Lippett, Just Wedge, Twinkle Twinkie, Yabs, and Pantheon, makers of the HS3 high-speed 3D printer. Uh also a special thank you goes out to our associate producer tier patrons, including Alejandro Navarro, Andre M. Burke, Andrew Dicey Schudeis, Arthur Keys, Ben Tallman, Eric, Eric Klein, Eric the Fourth, the Cincinnati Eric. I feel that's another new Eric this month, by the way. The Erics are multiplying. But look, if you put four Erics in a room together, all of a sudden you have sixteen, so uh, Felix Kramer, Graham Banks, Jad Rita, Matt Walker (parentheses Walkman 8080), Nathan Phelps, Sanjit Kumar, Steve Lynn, Thomas Shay, and Tom Hilton. Thank you also so much. We yes. really appreciate
1: you. Thank you. We certainly do. Just whatever you do,
0: don't get an Eric wet, but especially don't feed an Eric after midnight. Oh, never after midnight. Uh, that'll do it for us this week. Thanks to everybody who sent in questions, and thanks for listening to the show. We will see you all next, next week.